If you've been here uh, the last number of weeks, you'll remember we're in the time of Lent, the time leading up to Easter, and it's typically the season of penitence and deep reflection on who we are, where we've been, and where we're going. And so we're taking up these texts of terror, these biblical texts that have been used against different groups to harm. We're trying to take a look at them honestly without trying to make it better without trying to paint over what really happened and then try and figure out what should be our future with that. And today we're going to talk about the environment. This passage that we just read, beautiful passage, absolutely beautiful. It's this passage from Genesis 1. So this is the creation story. In the Bible there are two different creation stories, a a first one that's kind of a majestic one and a second one that's kind of a, a more personal one. And so this is the first one of those, and it's this story that gradually builds over seven days, right? And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then it gradually builds to a climax, and on the sixth day, God creates humankind. And in creating humankind, God said, you have dominion over the earth, take and subdue it, and basically take control over the earth. It is this part of the passage that has caused a lot of problems in our history. It's this image of a majestic God bringing down this infallible edict saying, take control and subdue the earth. This verse is is pointed to to legitimize the destruction of creation. it it tag teams with this idea of annihilationism. So at the end of time, some people have this view that, uh, you know this image of the apocalypse, right? There's fire and everything's blowing up and the whole world's kind of being destroyed and all this kind of popular image. Uh, Some people have this idea that at the end of time, the earth will just be completely wiped out and that it'll be destroyed and nothing will be left. And so this tag teams with that because they think what they would say is if everything's just going to be wiped out anyway, what's the point in saving any of it? What's the point of conserving any of it? It's just going to be killed anyway. And God gave us this command to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it, to have authority over it. And so these two things have helped contribute to especially wanton destruction of the environment over the last 500 years. Uh, Historically, what's been special about the last 500 years that brings this up is basically it's been the confluence of the Enlightenment, so it's collapsed the natural and the supernatural into one realm of the secular, and so that doesn't allow for room for something beyond that helps control your behavior here. But also, uh, almost more important, is this rapid development of machine technology in the Industrial Revolution. So, right, we're talking 18th, 19th century. Um, You might remember it in history classes for this disregard of labor, right? You have child labor, like little kids working and ducking into machines and getting hurt and killed because of it. You have uh, incredibly low wages, um, horrible treatment of workers until unions come to create a check and balance and help even out things 
in the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. This same disregard for others is the same impulse that came out in the care of the environment during that time. And so the holders of the means of production, the, the owners who had the machines and the factories, and could, they weren't the workers, but the people who owned the stuff, they basically were just trying to maximize their profits. And it didn't matter whose back that was on. If it didn't hurt them, it doesn't matter, be it labor, be it workers, or be it destruction of the environment, destruction of our world, and see, in the 18th century, uh, there was this development of farming tech. Like, you might remember from history class, the cotton gin, right? That was a big... Uh, there's these uh, machineries that are built that allow people to move from the farms into the cities because you don't need as much human labor. And so that leads to this increase in quality of life, which leads to this increase in population, which leads to this increase in consumption. And then also, tied with that is that all the resource consumed, they are all going into this machinery to help feed this mechanical world. And so you have clear cutting of entire forests, right, to clear out spaces for cities and to power uh, infrastructure, to build houses, to burn. You've got um, burning of tons and tons of coal and soot making it impossible to live in a city. You've got dumping of byproducts of industrial uh, waste into streams. And, and we're, we're seeing, at the very least, a parallel to that today. Uh, sociologists call this especially environmental racism. Um, and so it's this idea that uh, people of color are disproportionately take the human toll take the brunt of the effect of uh, environmental pollution. So, for example, Native American reservations are often used as dumping grounds for human and toxic waste, including nuclear waste. Um, or people of color are disproportionately more likely to be located near industrial factories with pollution and health problems that go along with it. There's this sense that we're both destroying the environment and our fellow humans in order to maximize the profit without regard to other people's needs or well-being. <clears throat> and so that, that syncs up with these Bible passages we looked at, right? When you see the planet as both given to you to have authority over and to do whatever you want with, and... It doesn't really matter if you save anything till later because it's all going to be burned and blown up anyway. Then that feeds in to this idea that it's okay to just destroy the environment so that you can have profit and to destroy other people through that. And so that's the situation. What do we do with this? A professor told me a story that they were talking to a Japanese uh, biblical scholar, uh, a student, and she was just having a lot of trouble trying to figure out what the fuss was about this passage. It, it just wasn't clicking until finally they realized, the Japanese student said, oh, I get it. Uh, 
we don't use that word here. In our translations, it says, take care of the environment, not have dominion or subdue the environment. And so it just didn't click for her that it would even be a problem, that this would be how this passage has been used. And so I think that, it's, that that's really helpful for thinking about how we go forward with this legacy and trying to make sense of this passage and this idea of taking dominion. It's not hard to find a better model in the Bible for us Christians to follow. Literally, from book cover to book cover, there are way better models that help humans think about creation. We've got Genesis 1, the first creation story of God building everything, making everything alive, and calling it good, very good. It is how God designed it. Then the next chapter, we have the second creation story of God coming and out of the earth itself, forming humankind and the animals, and just this intimate relationship between the earth and humankind. We've got this idea in the beginning of the Bible that the ground is itself a character. Like some people uh, in the Bible study will remember in Revelation as well, the ground becomes this character, this hero that swallows up the attacks of the bad guys to save the good guys. It's this inner relationship between the ground and the environment and us. There's the Psalms, which repeatedly use animal and heavenly imagery and ideas from the environment to express the grandeur of God. It's the end of Job, where God says this defense of, I created everything, and it's beautiful and perfect. And... We see this in Revelation. We see this in Romans as well, that where all the earth is groaning for the redemption of God, the whole creation is participating in this salvation story. And then in Revelation, we see the new earth from when Genesis to the very end of the Bible, Revelation, this new earth coming, this restored planet that we're on, being the site of perfect relationships. It's this idea of the goodness of creation. It's the idea that we are partners with God in caring and flourishing this world and those who live within it. It's this idea that the earth is the stuff of humanity. We are literally made out of it, sculpted out of it, and intimately related. We are intertwined and can't be separated from it. And so rather than just justifying the exploitation environment, we should remember the rich interconnectedness of ourselves with the earth and with creation. So as we are uh, ending each week with this benediction, may you remember what we have done. And may we go forward to do better.